0: All right. Check this out. I got a story to tell. Sunday evening, beautiful night, 80 degrees out friends all around. Joey, you were there drinking, smoking, vibing, getting ready for this Mayweather Logan Paul fight or exhibition or whatever you want to call it. It's cool, right? We're chilling watching the fight. Fight ends. People start dispersing around what? Like midnight. You know, I stay for a bit, catch up with my boys. Haven't seen them in a while. Have a few more drinks. Cool. Get a ride home. Dropped off around 2 a.m. Brush my teeth, change into something comfy. Get a nice little fresh water bottle from the fridge. Set it on the bedside table. AC cranking, snuggled up, blankets on. It's 2:30 a.m. Don't have to wake up early. Don't have to work on Monday morning. It's lit. Close my eyes. Beauty sleep commences. 6:45 a.m. Jolted awake. Loud bang upstairs. Sounds like someone in the apartment above me just like dropped something. I'm like, damn, sucks for them. You know, not my problem. Roll over back to bed 30 seconds later another loud bang followed by the sounds of hammering and drilling and what sounds like a group of dudes playing a fucking pickup basketball game right above my bed stomping around right phone lights up two text messages from my landlord they read as follows sorry for the late notice gonna have people renovating the upstairs apartment this week second text they'll be there around 7 30 a.m for the next couple of days it might be a bit noisy <laughs> Joey, I'm in disbelief right now, all right? I'm flabbergasted. I'm fucking offended, okay? This is just one example of a long pattern and history of discrimination against people who don't have the same bedtime as my eight-year-old niece. This ain't 1985. People aren't working nine to fives like that. People are working from home. Essential workers are grinding at restaurants and bars until 2 a.m., 4 a.m. Health workers working around the clock at hospitals 24-7, all right? No landlord would dream... Of texting that message to a tenant and being like, yo, we're going to be renovating at around 11 p.m. tonight. It might be loud. No, Landlord would never do that. Because God forbid we offend or disrupt the sleeping patterns of these so precious morning people. Maybe I'm being a little dramatic. Maybe I'm just overtired because I haven't fucking slept in three days. I don't know, Joey. What do you think? Where do you stand on this issue?
1: I mean... I agree, but that's kind of just like the norm of society, right? If we're just talking about societal norms and and trends, the morning is when you're supposed to wake up and get shit done. Wake up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., go to the gym, mow the lawn, or do whatever you got to do. That's how it's supposed to be in society. A lot of people don't want to break those societal norms because they don't want to be crucified by other people in society, right? But they got to respect that people are out grind into one two AM and that doing stuff like that in the morning is just totally trash. It's absurd. And 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 I would be pissed if I was in your shoes too. But then again, we're big on accountability on this podcast. Maybe you just have to be accountable for your choice to live in that apartment building. Like nobody told you to live in a building downtown where you have multiple tenants living in that house and you know, people are fucked up right? Like they fuck up apartments, they trash the place. And that means landlords have to fix said mistakes that the tenants made. Mm. So it might just be a cycle of that. But then again, maybe you should reevaluate your decision to live in downtown Rochester.
0: I'm going to take that into consideration. I I like that point, but still just to put a nice little bow on it to wrap it up. I don't give a damn about societal norms. All right. I'm a disruptor. Okay. I'm a breaker of chains Mm. like Khaleesi
1: remember that hmm. I don't even know who that is
0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to episode 144 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion, and on today's show, oh baby. The information is flowing. We got OTAs, mandatory mini camps underway across the league, and that means we've got news, we've got rumors, and we're going to get into all of them and see what valuable information we can glean for fantasy football purposes. We'll also be discussing my upcoming article, 2021 tiers for Best Ball Tournaments, and close out the show with another edition of 1v1. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we live stream on Monday and produce fantasy content all week, every week, including a recent video giving our in-depth thoughts on the Julio Jones trade to Tennessee Joey. Let's get right into it, all right? OTA rumors. And I want to start off with a story that, frankly, I'm a little bit tired of covering, but it's a huge story in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers and his dispute with the Packers. It continues. You know, we, we already know what's going on with that, but it got a step deeper this week when Rodgers failed to show up to mandatory minicamp. I think we all saw this coming, but what are your thoughts on the latest development in the Aaron Rodgers saga?
1: Yeah, so I agree. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion that Rodgers wasn't going to show up to this mandatory mini camp. And I will say the Packers can waive his fines, which would be like a sign of good faith, but who knows where Rodgers stands right now, right? We don't know if he's going to come back to Green Bay or not. It's up in the air, but I will say James Jones, Former Packers wide receiver said on the Colin Coward show that he thinks the situation is truly fixable. He says that he's good friends with Rodgers and has been talking to him recently. He believes that Rodgers and the Packers situation can be fixed. Rodgers told him apparently that it's not about the GM or the money. It's about them getting rid of players that he had a connection with, like Jordy Nelson and just some behind the scenes stuff. So that's just like a little quote from a guy that's close to Aaron Rodgers, apparently. Obviously, we have to take that with a grain of salt. But if what he's saying is true, it looks like Rodgers should be playing for Green Bay in 2021.
0: It does seem like things are moving in that direction. I do think it was interesting to note that Devontae Adams, however, also did return after there was some speculation he might not in support of Aaron Rodgers. You know, Adams is a guy who I also imagine is pretty close with Rodgers and would know what is going on on that situation. Do you think that his return to Packers minicamp indicates anything as far as Aaron Rodgers
1: status goes? No, I don't think it does. I don't know if you saw the video of him at his press conference, but he said he's not missing practice because he signed a contract he's being paid to be there and he grew up with uh no money in california so he's never gonna miss a paycheck it mm. is what he said words from his own mouth so i don't think him showing up to otas has anything to do with aaron Rodgers. it just you know it's his job and he he was there so
0: mm. and we
1: have reports about jordan love as
0: well do we not
1: yeah so Apparently, day one of Packers' minicamp, Jordan Love, was horrible. Couldn't hit an open wide receiver. Just looked awful. But day two was today, June 9th, and... We saw some uh, good things out of Jordan Love. He hit Aaron Jones on a deep touchdown, hit Alan Lazard on a deep touchdown, and he just overall looked better. And Matt LaFleur said that, you know, it's gonna take some time. He has to practice with the offense and get accustomed to it. And I think that it's a good situation for Jordan Love to be able to see how he handles the offense, how he runs the offense, and just overall see what he can do without Rodgers there taking the first team rep. So it's probably a good thing for him and the Packers long-term that this situation has happened happen but obviously for 2021 you want Rodgers there because you know he's coming off of an MVP season but you know you got to look at the bright side sometimes
0: yeah absolutely I mean this will probably be Jordan Love's only stretch of time where he is able to practice with the ones assuming that Rodgers does return so definitely good to get those reps in let's move on to our next story Calvin Ridley All the talk right now on Fantasy Twitter, moving up people's rankings following the departure of Julio Jones. He is the clear-cut wide receiver one in Atlanta now. And it came out on Wednesday that he had a minor procedure, a minor surgery on his foot and will not be practicing for the duration of Falcons minicamp.
1: So it's a minor surgery for Calvin Ridley. He's going to be out for minicamp, like you said, but he should be ready for training camp in July. Obviously, we shouldn't worry right now. I would still move him up in my rankings, and I know he's pretty high in your rankings as well. But obviously, if any setbacks occur, it's just gonna be a tough scene for the Falcons because besides Calvin Ridley, they really don't have much on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, they have Kyle Pitts, but besides those two guys, it's uh, very slim for the Falcons. So, if one of those two guys is out for an extended period of time, the Falcons' offense will be atrocious. Yep. So, down the drain. hopefully there's no yeah. Hopefully, there's no setbacks, but obviously, it's just a situation to monitor over the next month.
0: Yep, I wouldn't be knocking Calvin Ridley at this point, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, let's transition to the Big Apple where we've got the number two overall pick in the draft making flashes at Jets camp
1: in Zach Wilson. Apparently, Zach Wilson looks really good in Jets minicamp. You know, he's out there throwing lasers, throwing great touch passes, going 10 of 11 for like three touchdowns and seven on sevens or 11 on 11s. And I will say he is going as the quarterback 25 on underdog. So I do like that value a lot. And I will also say I do like a Jets secondary stack, a guy like Denzel Mims or Elijah Moore or even uh, Jameson Crowder at this point for really cheap on underdog. So I like that a lot, but I will say it's only up. LTAs. these guys are in shorts and shirts they're not playing in full pads you know it's no contact nothing like that you know we just have to take everything that we're seeing on Twitter with a grain of salt. Everybody looks good in shorts and a shirt. We just have to keep that in mind for the rest of the podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I do think it's worth noting that utilization can still be important and seeing what teams are how teams are utilizing players, yes. what they what they think is important for these players to do. For example, you know, we talked about it, I think last week, Travis Etienne being moved to wide receiver. That's interesting because it just shows what the coach wants to do with that player. Not necessarily that he looks electric, you know, in shorts without pads on which which is what you're saying. Speaking specifically to Zach Wilson, New York is not a media sector that's overwhelmingly like flowery. Like if Zach Wilson was looking bad, they wouldn't be just pumping up puff pieces about him, you know. They would love to to attack the Jets for trading away Sam Darnold and then drafting a bust. Like that's the way that New York media runs. So the fact that they are writing flowery pieces about him I think is interesting. And the other observation that has been you know, coming out of Jets camp is that Elijah Moore is reportedly the most impressive player at Jets camp on either side of the ball. While meanwhile, Denzel Mims is playing behind the likes of Corey Davis, Elijah, and Keelan Cole, who they added this off season and reportedly have tried to trade for in each of the last two seasons. So Jets staff high on Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims potentially disappointing.
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely didn't see that coming. I thought Denzel Mims would work as the number two opposite Corey Davis so it's kind of surprising but Keelan Cole has been undervalued in real life I I think uh, especially being with Jacksonville but they still have Jameson Crowder so that's a situation to monitor I know you didn't mention him Crowder is still a good football player and he's productive when he's on the field he's owed 10 million dollars but it's not guaranteed so we'll have to see if the Jets want to trade him or cut him if Elijah Moore is as good as people are hyping him up to be right now maybe Elijah Moore is is a complete steal right now in best ball especially if he gets that every down roll in the slot with uh, Zach Wilson and I know like they've gone out to dinner together and they kind of have like a little bromance going on Mm -hmm. so maybe we need to start paying more attention to Elijah Moore in best ball and I and I will say he was very productive at Ole Miss even with AJ Brown and DK Metcalf there for like his first year or two Mm.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, people speculated that Elijah Moore was Jamison Crowder's replacement, and they they took him with a high second round pick and reportedly have asked Jamison Crowder to take a sizable pay cut. Now, I mean, the way this story appears to be trending, if Elijah Moore continues to flash, I could definitely see um Jamison Crowder ending up on another team by September. And like you said, I think he's a fairly good player. So I'm still gonna be drafting him and gonna be doing it with the hope that he gets moved to another team. Like imagine if he goes to KC or, or one of these other mm-hmm. teams, you know, Green Bay, some of the teams that were in on Julio but didn't get him, but still need wide receiver help. Jamison Crowder would be a solid upgrade to almost any team. And the Jets are pretty deep at wide receiver right now. If Denzel Mims is their four even without Crowder, then you know I, I could definitely see them moving him and you know clearing that salary. So Crowder's still a guy I'm interested in, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't on New York come week one.
1: And I I think that'd be the best bet is assuming he's not going to be with New York, because like you said, they have a deep wide receiver core at this point, and they have a lot of talented players on the offensive side of the ball. So maybe uh, we see the Jets' offense come back to life in 2021 with these two draft picks with Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore, new head coach, and Sala. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how that plays out in New York.
0: So in New York, we've got Denzel Mims, a sophomore receiver, losing stock. And in Jacksonville, we've got a sophomore receiver gaining stock, and that is LaVisca Chennault. You know, look, LaVisca's a guy that I've always liked. I think he had a pretty solid rookie year going 58 receptions for 600 yards and five touchdowns on 79 targets in 14 games with atrocious Quarterback play. Keelan Cole leaves. Dee Westbrook leaves and he seems like he should have a clear-cut role on this team with Trevor Lawrence inbound
1: yeah I definitely agree there should be plenty of opportunity for him in the passing game as the number two besides DJ Chark and I've actually seen a lot of people on Twitter say that uh, LaVisca is the number one I want to go that far because I think DJ Chark is you know your prototypical alpha wide receiver one but LaVisca Chennault showed last season that he is a capable NFL player it wouldn't surprise me if he breaks out in year two with Trevor Lawrence with Urban Meyer who has always made programs better I'm expecting big things out of Jacksonville's offense I expect them to take a major step forward and it's going to be exciting to see how Urban uses him in the offense I don't know if he's going to get the rushing attempts that you know some were kind of projecting for as well as the targets but if he's the second most targeted wide receiver on the Jags this season he's going to be very valuable so I'm starting to come around to LaVisca for sure
0: yeah and he just looks like a grown-ass man you know he's one of those guys on the field that is just a physical dominator and I agree with your take that DJ Chark profiles as the guy that should be the wide receiver one but I don't know how confident I am in that take when you can get Visca three rounds later like I'll still be drafting DJ Chark but I think that value included Visca might be my target at this point if you can get him a full 30 picks later
1: yeah I just like DJ Chark's upside just as a player in general. You know, mm-hmm. he's six four, runs a four point three. He's shown already in the NFL that he can do it at a decent level in his rookie year. Went over a thousand yards with terrible quarterback play. I just like DJ Chark a lot, and he's probably one of my guys for 2021.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my guys for 2021 is Michael Gallup, and a lot of flowery things coming out about Michael Gallup from Dallas Media. Quotes from McCarthy that he's going to take a leap, and he's just been turning heads all camp. He's going as the wide receiver 40 on underdog. You know that I'm a big Michael Gallup guy. How do you feel about him at this point in the offseason?
1: I like Michael Gallup, currently going as the wide receiver 40 on underdog, and I I think he's a solid pick. Gallup has been a career deep threat. He's currently the wide receiver three on a high powered offense in the Cowboys, and he's in a contract year. So, those are all positives, I think. He could easily provide you multiple spike weeks in best ball. And then, him and Dak also seem to have a notable connection. We've seen it over the last couple of seasons. We're seeing it in Dallas minicamp right now. Dak is hitting Michael Gallup for numerous touchdowns. So, I like Michael Gallup a lot. I think he's a very talented wide receiver in his own right, and I think he will have a very good year. The Cowboys' offense is is just going to snap.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just love Gallup as the guy that you can get five rounds later than Lamb and Cooper, and I think has comparable upside. I mean, we're only one year removed from Gallup going 66 catches for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, averaging 16.8 yards per catch, which is absolutely elite. And even last year, when the offense you know, completely fell apart after Dak went out, he still ended up running the second most routes of any wide receiver in the league. Reports out of Dallas are that he's going to be moved around to the slot. He only had three slot targets in 2020, and if that comes across, we could see the reception's go up but the yardage I think remain the same as he is the clear-cut deep threat in an explosive Mm -hmm. offense so Michael Gallup to me is one of the guys that I absolutely love targeting Dak Prescott's a guy I'm high on and it makes sense as a natural stack and even a secondary stack if you're able to land one of the two elite receivers as well
1: yeah I mean we're both high on Gallup I think it's just more so because we're very high on the Cowboys offense which obviously isn't like a bold take or anything but the Cowboys offense is going to be great in 2021 and I think there's enough target. Targets and fantasy points to go around to all three wide receivers realistically all three of those guys are probably not going to leave the field that much
0: No, I I wouldn't think so. And, you know, while we're talking about Dallas, there have been some things coming out about Zeke as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, reports out of Dallas are saying that Zeke has looked great throughout the spring and he's looked great to start Cowboys minicamp. And he's looked explosive. He looks like he has his lateral agility back. These are quotes from uh, Dallas beat reporters. So if that's the case, I think Zeke could be a value in fantasy football right now. I mean, this is a guy that hasn't looked great over the last season and a half or so, but we know that he's capable of getting 20 25 touches per game. Dallas is returning two or three starting offensive linemen that they missed last year, all pro offensive linemen, in Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. With those additions and just the overall explosiveness of the Cowboys' offense, Zeke is probably a running back that we're going to be targeting in DFS weekly just due to his touch upside and the offensive environment, and that probably makes him a solid pick at his uh, RB7 spot right now on underdog. Yep, Zeke's
0: a guy I've been debating moving up. It's just hard to think that he fails. I think early in the off season, I was swayed by what we saw out of Tony Pollard at the end of the year, but we have to look at, you know, just the way that Dallas is going to use Zeke and maybe not the way that I think that they should use Tony Pollard. Zeke is a guy who could be on the field a ton. He saw a lot of targets last year and the year before when Dak Prescott was healthy, and smart people in the industry are really high on Zeke. Sal Vetri, who's, you know, a big DFS guy, had him ranked as his running back 2.
1: Yeah, I mean, Zeke is definitely capable of being the overall running back 1, I think, especially like I said if he's getting those 20-25 touches per game to start last year, he was the number 1 running back in terms of routes run at the running back position. So if they're using him in that fashion in 2021, Zeke is going to be a smash and he's going to be a smash in DFS. Be- Baseball dynasty whatever you can get him at i mean he's still what 25 years old yep i, I like zeke a lot. Agree with that. Uh, on last week's episode, we talked about J.K. Dobbins
0: being one of the players that we are fading, and it came out since that the Ravens running backs are expected to catch more passes. It's been a concerted effort by Harbaugh and the Ravens coaches to utilize the running backs more in the passing game. Do you believe that that will happen? Because, you know, if it is, it's going to be a pretty bold shift from the way that the Baltimore offenses ran in the Lamar Jackson era.
1: Yeah, no. No, I I don't believe that's going to happen. Greg Roman, who's the offensive coordinator for the Ravens, his running back rooms over the last 114 games that he's been an offensive coordinator have averaged just 3.3 targets per game. Uh That's not including just one running back. That's including the whole running back rooms on each team that he has coached over the last 114 games. This is not going to change. This is a statistical trend with Greg Roman. He is a coordinator that wants to run the ball. And since 2011, when he was with San Francisco, all the way up to 2020, Greg Roman offenses have been 29th or worst in terms of pass attempts per game. And with Baltimore, the last two years, they have ranked 32nd in pass attempts per game. So until that changes, I don't believe that the running backs are going to be targeted more. This offense revolves around Lamar Jackson and his ability to create on the ground and through the air. They brought in Sammy Watkins. They drafted Bateman. They drafted Tylan Wallace. So if you're bringing in these wide receivers, you still have Hollywood Brown, still have Mark Andrews. That tells me that this is just pure cap. Okay. Mm. I don't believe this. I'm still fading J.K. Dobbins at his current ADP. I will say J.K. Dobbins wasn't even that great of a pass catcher in college. So this isn't a guy that's going to get you, you know, the the 50 catches that you need for him to elevate into that high end running back one tier that a lot of people think he can. Just just no. The this is just pure coach speak middle of June. Nothing else to say. <laughs> um, don't believe greg roman at all or the ravens
0: yeah i absolutely agree with that take 100 percent and like we could see the ravens be more pass heavy than the 32nd or 31st team in the league right but it's not like they're going to be in the top half of the league like what's their upside 24 23 22 like that range like there's just not going to be enough targets to go around and like you said they added a bunch of guys they added Walkins. they added bateman they added wallace like there's not more targets to go around. If anything, there's less for these guys. So I just absolutely don't see it. I, I think you uh, completely n- hit the nail on the head with that one.
1: Yeah, just pure cap.
0: Pure cap. Deshaun Watson, the, the story that nobody's allowed to talk about, but somebody talked about it. Kareem Jackson, former cornerback for the Houston Texans, now with Denver, spoke on Aqib Talib's podcast and believes that Deshaun Watson is eyeing the Denver Broncos as a potential landing spot.
1: Yeah, so Kareem Jackson, former teammate of Deshaun Watson, said that Watson personally told him, that he wants to be in Denver. And he said that he was talking to him for the last couple of weeks. All he's been telling me is that's where I wanna be. I wanna be in Denver. Obviously, Watson is going through his legal situation and God, who knows when that's gonna be resolved. He has a no trade clause in his contract and the Texans have already said They aren't trading them. So a trade seems very unlikely at this point. But I could see why Watson wants to go to Denver. They have Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, Tim Patrick. Their offense is loaded with talent. They just don't have a quarterback. But will a trade happen? Probably not. Should it happen? maybe. I think the Texans should trade him. They should just rid their hands of the entire situation. Get whatever you can for him. You're probably going to get a first, maybe two firsts for Watson. That's what I think should happen. What I believe will happen is nothing. He's just going to hold out, not get traded, and the Broncos are going to be terrible because Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater are Mm god-awful. Yep. Again, I'm
0: going to just Agree with your take on this. I mean, it isn't like this was a quote from Denver saying we're interested in Deshaun Watson. It's Deshaun Watson saying what he's interested in. And frankly, he has absolutely no power in this situation right now. So it's a complete non-story to me. Uh, Hit me up when a team says that they're interested in Watson, and and that'll be
1: news. (laughs) Right.
0: All right, before we get into our tiers talk, let's close out with the least important position in fantasy football, tight end. But we are hearing some things come out, and and something I thought was interesting— was the Vikings coaching staff commenting that Tyler Conklin is expected to be the biggest beneficiary of Kyle Rudolph's departure, not Irv Smith. Irv is being drafted highly as the tight end 11 and Conklin isn't being drafted at all. I mean, do you think that this is smoke or could Smith be being wildly overdrafted and Conklin be a value?
1: I mean, it it, it most likely is smoke. Irv Smith is clear-cut the better player. I don't care what anybody says and Mike Zimmer the specific quote was I think it's a bigger role for Conklin he said. He's kind of emerged as a guy that's moving upward and with those two guys we have a lot of weapons there. Irv always has been able to do what he's been able to do whether Kyle Rudolph was here or not. Obviously Kyle's a great kid and we miss him but we're excited about these two young tight ends. So what I get from the situation is that Irv Smith is the clear-cut one. Tyler Conklin is is the clear cut too, but they're both going to get snaps on the field. They're both going to be used, but I do think Irv is the guy, especially on passing downs.
0: Fair enough, but if he does begin to lose substantial snaps, then it, it could be an overdraft at tight end 11, just something, I think, to consider. A player that is struggling right now in OTAs is Dawson Knox. We've heard that he has been struggling in camp and is reportedly working with a vision specialist to improve his hand-eye coordination. Bad hand-eye coordination doesn't seem like a, a good thing to have when your job is to catch passes in the NFL.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you don't say... Um... <laughs> But my thoughts on the on the situation is that Dawson Knox is just not it like he's he's an average player. He's an average NFL player. Realistically, his upside is probably like a low tight end too, just a touchdown or bust probably only going to target him on like single game showdown bill slates, Uh, have no interest in him in redraft, no interest in best ball. And I think that goes the same for uh, Jacob Hollister as well, who they also signed in The offseason. He's another below average or average tight end in the NFL. I couldn't care less for either of them, to be honest. But I will say Jacob Hollister did play with Josh Allen at Wyoming, if that means anything to you. Maybe a little shower narrative there. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it certainly could be. I would definitely have more interest in Hollister. I have no interest in Knox. I think Hollisters were the flyer if. The Bills don't end up adding Zach Ertz. If Ertz gets thrown into the mix, he'll probably play above both of these guys. And the Bills were clearing cap space last week. A lot of people are speculating that that is to make a move to acquire Zach Ertz.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Zach Ertz goes there, then I would have some interest. But these are just two guys that are very average. They're not going to wow you with their athleticism or their speed or their hands or anything. Just touchdown or bust guys for me. And for that reason, I'm just not drafting either of them. I literally could not give one fuck about uh, Dawson Knox or Jacob Hollister. That's from the tight end whisperer himself.
0: Well, speaking of the tight end whisperer, and speaking of somebody who's not just a guy, somebody who's not athletically average, how about Jacob Harris, supposedly, who I have no idea who that is, but apparently you like him. Tell me about him.
1: Should should we put the listeners on this early?
0: I think we should. I mean, we ha- we have every single offseason. We've given them the tight end, and, and it was on them if they wanted to listen, if they wanted to make money. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, w- I would
1: listen up. <laughs> All right, so... I will preface this by saying this is probably right now more of a dynasty stash. He, he most likely won't have much best ball or redraft value, but Jacob Harris is a wide receiver from UCF that was drafted as a tight end. He's 6'5". He's a big boy. 6'5", runs a 4.4340. He was drafted in the fourth round by the Los Angeles Rams who currently have Tyler Higby as their number one on the depth chart. But we know that Tyler Higby is not that great. Besides a four-game span two or three years ago, Tyler Higby hasn't done shit in the Mm -hmm. NFL. When we're targeting tight ends, especially guys that aren't being drafted and guys that we just want to take flyers on, we want... To target guys that are athletically gifted. And like I mentioned, he was a wide receiver in college, but the Rams are playing him at tight end, which could be the ultimate cheat code. Like I said, he ran a 4 4 at his pro day. He has a 95th percentile speed score, a 96th percentile burst score, 91st percentile agility score, and a 99th percentile catch radius. And he's low key lighting it up. In Rams mini camp right now, mm. um, Jacob Harris. Watch out for him. Put it in stone right here, Dynasty stash. If Tyler Higby goes down, he sees immediate value year one, and this could be a cheat code for the Rams in, in years to come. Kind of reminds me of Darren Waller, to be honest.
0: Interesting. That that's a bold comparison to make, but I mean the athletic profile fits it. Listen, Drafters, Underdog, DraftKings, all, all three. Listen up. This man is a tight end. He was drafted as a tight end. I don't know why he's still listed as a wide receiver on all three of your sites. Please get it fixed.
1: Okay, so we could draft him in the twentieth round, on, bro, <laughs> and get one week where he where he scores six points. That could all be yeah, that's what we need. That
0: could be the week. I want those six, bro. I want them. <laughs> Alright, that that's a good place to wrap it up for the news. I want to talk about this article that I've got coming out before we do our 1v1 to close up the show. So, here's the gist of it, right? Here's the thesis. In my opinion, in best ball, understanding tiers and player roles is far more important than individually ranking players. What I mean by that is that we all know, especially listeners of this podcast, know that roster construction is just about the most important thing in best ball. A lot more important than the players that you are drafting specifically. So with tiers, what I'm aiming to do is put together tiers of players that belong in the same category in terms of their realistic upside. These are not median projections. They are priority suggestions, if that makes any sense. So, for example, just to throw some context out there, if you look at my quarterback rankings, and this article will be released to our Discord first for our loyal community members. If you guys want to join that, you can find the link to join in the description to this podcast, and it'll be released on the DFSdos.com next week. But just to give it some context... If we look at my quarterback rankings, we look at the fourth tier. I've got players like Daniel Jones, Tua Tagovailoa, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields in that tier above players like Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, et cetera. Now, if I were doing raw projections, it would be crazy to put some of those guys above them. You know, some of these guys mm-hmm. have eight game starting projections or, or less theoretically. I mean, not Tua, but you know, you can make that case for Trey Lance or Justin Fields. But the point of ranking them above or the point of putting them in a tier above is to prioritize upside versus compiling. For example, last week we talked about Logan Thomas. He finished as the tight end four. But what does that mean if he's not giving you boom weeks, if he's not making a difference in your teams in the standings of these large field tournaments? It's a GPP versus cash ranking scenario. It's projecting upside and range of outcomes versus median stats. So, Joey, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Do you agree with the thesis of it? Do you do you feel like the concept of tiers is more actionable than the concept of straight rankings, specifically in terms of best ball and tournaments?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely do agree, especially in large field tournaments where you have to prioritize ceiling. What you said definitely makes sense. And I think it is very actionable and probably more profitable in the long run for every reason that you said to do it in terms of tiers instead of saying all right matt ryan is qb 16 and daniel jones is qb 21 or, or whatever but having those guys in in that specific tier i think makes sense
0: Exactly. And, you know, it's the same reason that you see the conversation now shifting towards what are players' fantasy points per game versus what are their season-long finishes. It's just a matter of impact weeks and consistency versus overall finish. And I think that the sharper the fantasy drafter, the more they're looking at things like that and it lines up with tiers. That's why I'm putting this article out. I've got 239 players ranked across 30 tiers in four positions. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a ton of content surrounding that, Joey, if you want to tell the people about it
1: yep so like ben mentioned he is putting his tier article out for discord members if you want to join that the link is down below in the description he's putting that out today so if you want to go check that out it's live right now in the discord chat otherwise it'll be available sometime next week we will be putting out four separate videos slash podcasts breaking down each of ben's positional tiers quarterback running back wide receiver tight end so make sure you look out for that on this same podcast feed or over on our youtube channel at the dfs dose if you want to go over there make sure you subscribe too if you're on that youtube page and In those videos, we will be discussing specific player 1v1s, some players that I believe are in the right tiers or in the wrong tiers. Ben will also give his reasonings for putting players in specific tiers. I know he referenced his quarterback tier of Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, et cetera. So he's going to give the reasoning for that. We're going to go just in depth into every position on those podcasts and videos next week, not on this one next week make sure you look out for that
0: absolutely uh couldn't have said it better myself uh really excited put a lot of work into this article so make sure you guys check it out all right before we get out of here joey it's time a little bit of mano y mano a little bit of 1v1 player debate let's get into (laughs) it All right, this week's player debate, this week's 1v1 is going to be on a player that is near and dear to my heart. A player that if you've watched our streams, you've seen me draft at an incredibly high rate. A guy that I have over 50% exposure to in best ball right now. Maybe I should tone it down a bit, but how can I when he is the clear cut best value in fantasy football right now, Gabriel Davis.
1: So, Gabe Davis, best value in fantasy football, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll, I just want to start this off by saying I don't hate Gabe Davis.
0: Why do I feel like some hate is coming right now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like him as a player, but I've been seeing you tweet that him and Diggs are a top five wide receiver <laughs> duo, and he's the wide receiver two on the Bills. I think that's just clear cut false that's just clear-cut fake news they have Diggs, alpha wide receiver one they have cole beasley who's still going to get targets they went out and signed emmanuel sanders for six million dollars guaranteed who are all going to play above gabe davis if we're just looking at the ota minicamp rumors sanders is operating as the bills wide receiver two currently i would personally project for all three of those guys to have more targets than Gabriel Davis for 2021 if they all stay healthy. See, I know I know you hate old people. So that's kind of <laughs> where your bias is against Emmanuel Sanders. But like I mentioned, they did give him six million dollars. And what that tells me is he's going to be involved in the offense. He's going to have a good role no matter what you might think or other people might think that's just the situation that he's in if you look at his athletic profile if we're just looking at him as a player nothing impresses you he's not fast he's not overly athletic but i will say he's attached to josh allen and a dynamic bills offense which will give him value i think in best ball he was number seven in the nfl in both a dot and yards per catch Last year. So, what that tells me is that he is a deep threat, and that's a valuable role, right? Especially when you have a big arm quarterback in Josh Allen who's willing to chuck the ball down the field. But I will say he was 84th in yards per route run and had a 56% catch rate and only a 10% target share last year. What that tells me is he was getting the shots downfield, which is good, like I said, but he wasn't very efficient with those targets. And this is just a player that the Bills specifically want to use in that deep threat field stretcher role if we're taking a look at it right now for 2021 Gabe Davis is the wide receiver 59 on the underdog do I think he beats that yes I do but I feel like there will be more floor games more two to five point games then there will be 20 point games with Gabe Davis and I think that's just what it ultimately comes down to just to sum it all up people are just over projecting what his role will be in the Bills offense for 2021 with three other people there that will see more targets than him
0: all right here's the thing it's cool and all that Emmanuel Sanders is is running ahead of him in June come September this dude Emmanuel Sanders might be in the nursing home He's 34 years old. Cole Beasley's 32. They're old as dirt. Let me take a wager on a nice 22-year-old sophomore receiver coming off of what is honestly a season that is not getting the love it deserves. He had 35 receptions for almost 600 yards and seven touchdowns. One less touchdown than Steph Diggs had on 104 more targets. Three more touchdowns than Cole Beasley had on 45 less targets. John Brown is gone. Despite being injured last year, John Brown played on 75-plus percent of snaps in eight out of his nine games, Gabriel Davis makes the most sense to step into that role. He played on over 60% of snaps in 10 games as a rookie. And if you look at his snap share towards the end of the year, he's an every down player. Seventh in the NFL in average target distance. Seventh in the NFL in yards per reception. 17.1, which is an absolutely elite number. Like you referenced, you know, he's a deep threat. 9.7 yards per target. That's top 20 in the entire NFL. He steps into the John Brown role. He becomes the clear cut number two. He becomes the deep threat. We saw in week 17. He made us a bag off those two receptions for 107 yards and a touchdown against Miami. And it just comes down to Gabriel Davis is that dude. Yeah, he might have a couple three-point games, a couple, you know, six-point games, but he's going to drop you a couple 20s, some 25s, and you can get him in the 12th round. I think he's an absolute value, and he's attached to Josh Allen, potentially the biggest arm in the NFL at this point, and he is the clear-cut deep threat.
1: Draft him. I, I do think he is the deep threat for the Bills. But I don't think that is a role that's going to see seven, eight targets per game. And that role didn't see that last year with Buffalo. But that role was split
0: with John Brown, who's leaving over 50 targets behind. Is Emmanuel Sanders going to step into that role at age 34? I mean, we know
1: Cole Beasley isn't. If if you just look at his game logs, 100% of snaps without John Brown in week 12, only four targets, 97% of snaps in week 13 four targets. 92% of snaps in week 15, five targets. 98% of snaps in week 16, five targets. So realistically, what is his target projection on a weekly basis with three other wide receivers healthy that are going to be on the field? No matter what you might think, they are going to play Cole Beasley and they are going to play Emmanuel Sanders. What's the realistic target projection? Four, five targets per game? And if those are deep targets down the field, yeah, it's valuable because, you know, you want those spike weeks and, he, and he's capable of scoring long touchdowns, but more often than not, they're probably not going to be touchdowns and they're going to be a lot of unrealized air yards and a lot of empty targets
0: i i just got to disagree i mean davis had more red zone targets than john brown and cole beasley and he was right in the same range as as Diggs. so i i I don't know i think that davis has the role he's going to get deep targets he's going to get red zone targets and attached to josh allen i'm going to continue to draft every bit of gabriel davis that i can
1: uh, that's fair he didn't have one game over 20 points in ppr last year i mean take that as you wish but it it is what it is uh you like gabe davis i like him too as a player i, th- I think he's solid but you know he's definitely not like an elite nfl player by any stretch of the means he's not even an elite high-end wide receiver too um just in terms of the bills and, and the nfl uh, not even for fantasy realistically you got to put your bills bias aside because you love Um, josh allen you love gabe davis you just love the bills you might as well be a fan this is a guy that's probably gonna see four to five targets a week and probably two to three catches a week that's just what it comes down to so i'm sorry to uh tell that to you but that's probably the most realistic projection for Gabe Davis in twenty twenty one.
0: And and I'm sorry that you hate money, and I couldn't convince mm. you otherwise, and that you don't realize that he's going to be what we thought Darius Slayton would be last year. But you know that that's no, uh, no, that's no, neither no, here nor there. No.
1: Gabriel Davis is not in the same tier of player as Darius Slayton.
0: Well, who is? But I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but I think that's going to be it for episode one forty four of the DFS Dose podcast. If you're not already, make sure you are following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. I am at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. New episodes of the podcast drop every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform on the internet. We'll be back next week on June 17th with episode 145. Back sooner with our positional tier breakdowns like Joey referenced earlier. If you guys ever want to draft with us in one of these best ball tournaments, we live stream drafts every single Monday on the YouTube channel, Twitch, and Twitter. You can join our Discord channel for a heads up on when we plan to go live so you can jump in, chat with us, draft with us, chill with us, vibe with us. We always welcome the interaction. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you and we value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Vibes.